You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hey, I'm Will, and they call me the doctor. And I'm Joe, the maestro. We host a podcast called Common Creatives, where we break apart the art we love to see what makes it tick. Basically, we give you the definitive take on whatever or whoever we're discussing. You don't need to go anywhere else. So check out Common Creatives wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. In this episode, I speak once again with Lucian Greaves, co-founder and spokesperson for the Satanic Temple. Now, we did record this uh, quite a while ago. We recorded it on the 12th when Trump was still in office and right after the insurrection at the Capitol. So if you do not want to hear about Trump, if you don't want to hear about conspiracy theories, if you don't want to hear about the general degradation of democracy in our culture and tech platforms, then this might not be the episode for you. But even though this conversation is a bit dated, I do think that there's some interesting stuff here, and I hope you enjoy it. But before we get to that, I have to thank my patrons. As always, my patrons are my personal lords and saviors, and they are ensuring the long life of my work. This week, I have to thank Jonas, Jim, Melanie, Mobius, Audrey, Catherine and Megan. Thank you so much. I truly could not do this without you. If you're listening to this and interested in joining their number, please do. Every little bit helps. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long. And for a dollar a month or $5 a month, you get extra content every week, including pre-release unedited versions of my episodes and my patrons only podcast house of heretics so if that interests you do please become a patron i also have to thank my incredible discord community you know sometimes it isn't enough to listen to a podcast Sometimes you need community. Sometimes you need to be surrounded by like-minded people. And so I set up my Discord server just for that. So if you are a Satanist, a pagan, a progressive Christian, an atheist, someone who is interested in my show and the topics that I discuss, please consider joining my Discord server. Every single day, there are different conversations going on over there. It is a lot of fun. You will find a link in the show notes. And finally, we are continuing to grow the Rock Candy Podcast Network. We have some incredible shows on the network. If you haven't checked them out already, Magnified, Pod, Bubble and Squeak, Bible Bash, Brown Sugar Diaries, and so many more. And if you have a podcast or you are thinking of starting one and you relate to Rock Candy Recording's vision of creating a kinder, more compassionate and interesting world... 
then please reach out to me. I would love to hear your pitch. You can email me at stephenbradfordlong.com forward slash contact. Well, with all of that out of the way, I am delighted to bring you my conversation with Lucian Greaves. Lucian Greaves, welcome back. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm inviting you on. Uh, what day is today? I Tuesday don't even the know. 12th. January 12th. Yes. Thank you. So last week, was it this week? No, it was last week. Last week, we all witnessed the storming of the Capitol. <laughs> and I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Oh, by the way, I should probably introduce you. I, I will in the intro, but everyone, Lucian Greaves, founder, co-founder and spokesperson of the Satanic Temple and um, semi-regular guest on the show now. So glad to have you here again. But the the storming of the Capitol, you know, it, it's like this convergence of just all of this, all of these things that I feel like are in my wheelhouse and might be in yours. You know, it's like this convergence of theocracy, conspiracy theory, absolute delusion, tech stuff, you know, how how tech and digital media can create these bubbles. So I'm I'm just really curious to hear what your thoughts are on on what happened last week. Well, the surprise, of course, is that they were able to that, that security was lax enough that people were able to breach <laughs> yes. the, the actual... Uh, they, it was like the fucking carnival just, just decided to walk in and no measure. It didn't... I mean, I don't know. Maybe there were measures taken, but it's it was stunning to see the footage. And, you know, I was listening to a podcast with a bunch of journalists. I was, I was listening to the fifth column and they're professional journalists and they're like... I have been at that building so many times as a journalist and the amount of bullshit you have to go through just to get in, like all the checkpoints, all the security just to get in. Like, how the fuck were they able to do that? <laughs> yeah, but beyond that, right, where's the surprise? Like, were, were we not expecting right. that type of rhetoric from Donald Trump? And, absolutely. And to be clear, this absolutely is not to say that I am against them proceeding with impeachment. I, I absolutely think they should mm -hmm. and do everything they can to prevent him from holding public office again, holding him accountable. In fact, I'm disgusted to hear still to this day some others and some Democrats saying, that this will just divide the nation further. And <laughs> I, I really feel that that failure to hold people accountable is what has gotten us to this point. And I think it's disgusting at this point to even hear anybody saying, well, we should just stand back and let everybody kind of magically unify without addressing this. I think that's about the stupidest thing that could be done right now. And I, I really feel like they're, they're doing the right thing by moving forward and trying to mm. impeach this fool but uh, I, I'm really it's kind of shocking that anybody's shocked by what happened. Absolutely. Seeing people uh, looking upon these pictures of the crowd and saying, wow, there's people holding up white supremacist banners and things like that. And it's, you know, on my end, I'm thinking, where have you been for the past four years? What, what have you been watching going on here? This was signaled from miles away. This has been culminating all this time. Uh, Trump has been trying to exasper exacerbate these tensions his entire 
tenure within office, I, I just, I, I'm glad to see people shaken by this. And I have to say, it is gratifying to see some of the uh, video footage tagged with the, the hashtag of no fly list now mm -hmm. to see these entitled fools who thought that there was really no repercussions to doing this and that they could just march right in. And, and obviously they thought they were doing this on the authority of the president himself. You know, there's almost like this LARPing quality to it. You know, there is that video of a woman at the Capitol who had gotten um, a pepper spray in her eyes. And she just, she seemed so mortified. And the journalist who was interviewing her was like, yeah, she was, she was incensed that the cops, had she the was nerve. incensed. And then, and then the journalist was like, so what are you doing here? Like, why are you here? And she said, it's a revolution. We're storming the Capitol, you know? It, and then I, you know, I saw other videos of people when they find out they're on a no fly list and, you know, having breakdowns in airports, like this is what you do to us. And there really is like this detachment from reality, this, this LARPing, this revolutionary LARPing where when their imaginary play kind of comes up against reality and the consequences of their behavior, it's shocking to them. It's fascinating to watch. Well, I feel like there's a whole kind of Trump mindset there where, you know, things are okay because one declares it so. Uh, hmm. You know, Trump, whatever Trump does is legal because he's the president and he creates the law. And that's kind of bled over into the position of his crowd where you know what they're doing is lawful and 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 and, and orderly because they're they've aligned themselves with law and order and they don't understand that the cops are there and going to try to stop them from doing something that in fact is not legal and on the other side of that you know i think on the left a lot of times you know there's a real bad taste in people's mouths over identifying as patriotic in any mm -hmm. sense and i understand that and i mm -hmm. understand holding people accountable and nations accountable for their history and things like that but i really do feel that the, the core premise of our democracy has created or at least tried to create a system by which we correct things that are not uh, that that make us unequal things that don't contribute to democratic processes or make things, uh, you know, less equitable for the people, the, the citizens of our country. And I, I think it's kind of time that we embrace that and not just abdicate and say, this is the nature of America kind of thing. And, and yeah. allow the Trump crowd to, to claim the, uh, the title of, of true patriots when in fact they're, they're attempting a coup. Yeah. And in in their vision of the United States could not be more misaligned with I think the 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 vision mm. of the United States that is more appropriate to anybody's understanding of the Constitution. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is basically we shouldn't we shouldn't let the right lay claim to what is justly ours, you know, and that. That's something that I 
that's something that I have been thinking about quite a bit, actually. You know, I, I think about this in terms of free speech, where it's like, no, free speech is not a right wing issue. Maybe it maybe they cynically use it as as uh, maybe they, you know, cynically and maliciously use it as uh, a weaponized cudgel. But, you know, this is universal. Same same with being a patriot. Uh, same with religious freedom. I think that there is this temptation to just, you know, throw up our hands and be like, okay, well, I'm just going to take my ball and go home and let them have it. Let them have that term. Let them have that word or that idea. I just really, really resist that impulse. I get it, but I really resist it. Yeah, because it is it's demotivating. Yes. Right. Uh, yes. To, to just to just settle on that and say, well, this this is the nature of of Americanism, and and I want nothing to do with uh, this this legacy of colonialism and all that kind of thing. That that just abdicates your place here. And as long as this is where we're going to be, uh, we should really stake it out for for better purposes than uh, and allow these assholes to come in and claim that this is the definition of patriotism and this is how the United States is. Because if we're really founded on religious freedom, the Trump crowd has no understanding of what that actually looks like in practice. Mm. And they're, they're not even trying. Mm-hmm. This idea that of Christian nationalism holding dominance and you know one particular religious viewpoint having a type of preferred placement on the public grounds, it's something we've been fighting against for a long time. And it's symbolic of the rest of their efforts to assert dominance in every way for their lifestyles to impose upon others, for their moral structure to be imposed upon everybody else's viewpoints. And, and they've done a really good job playing with the semantics. Yes. You know, that only, uh, only deregulation of business really matters when it comes to issues of individual liberty. Now that corporations are people, Hmm. you know, religious freedom means their freedom to impose their religion upon everybody else. But, you know, that really is playing with semantics and that isn't the meaning of these things. And it's really time to take some pride in who we are and take some pride on the good things that have been built, the, the advances that have been made. Look at some of the things that have been done during within the rights revolution within the last 50 years and really push those things further. Yeah. And, you know, just to clarify, I don't think what you're saying is that, you know, we don't have a, a terrible history of colonialism because we do, you know, and, and so just to clarify, it isn't that we're denying that America has done some shitty things, but but rather that uh, maybe now is not the time to abandon ship. And that we should really lay claim to the legacy of the the positive legacy, the good legacy, while, you know, we can acknowledge and and try to repair the harms that have been done. But we also shouldn't jump ship. Well, exactly. I, I hear a lot of the rhetoric of apathy sometimes mm. when I hear people saying that nothing Nothing has changed. Nothing has improved. That's not true. It's patently That's false. It's not to say that yeah. things aren't, aren't, aren't wrong, but if we don't recognize what we've done right, uh, it doesn't give us any map forward either. Yeah. You know, we, we do need to recognize those things and we need to embrace them and we have to see we have made progress. I mean, th- this is not par for the course. You know, 
20 years ago, these assholes were hiding away in, in holes. You know, we've taken a step backwards. I think we should recognize that. Yes. You know, yeah. I really do think they need to be driven back into their holes again. Mm-hmm. And we, we can't give up and yield and say that, uh, you know, this is their territory. And, and we need to understand that this is something we can never move beyond. I completely agree with that. And you were just talking about the progress that we've made. And I see, I don't, I wonder if you've seen this. This is kind of a tangent, but I see usually men, usually young men, usually on the internet, kind of reminiscing for this sunny past where things were so much better. Things were so much more just where, you know, maybe the pink haired social justice warriors weren't, you know, ruining their lives or or something and that there were still institutional and religious structures in place that gave us a sense of meaning. And now, you know, what I hear from a lot of these guys is, you know, they feel like their life is meaningless. They feel like their life is empty and that things are worse now than they've ever been. And just I look at it. So I see I see that pessimism that you're talking about on the left, kind of this doomerism of everything's so fucked. We can't fix this. And then on the other side, I also see I, I see this pining for like a a mythic ancestral past, a, a mythic religious past where where there was structure in the world and where there was uh, meaning in the world. And I I just look at that, as, I look at both of those narratives as a gay man. And I'm like, you do realize I would be burned at the fucking stake at literally any other point in human history <laughs> in the West. Like, cry me a fucking river about the past. Well, right. But, but on the other hand, it's difficult for people is aware as they might be of history it's difficult for people to see past their own lifetime yes and now we're looking past you know the past 12 years which is a significant chunk of most people's lives Mm -hmm. and especially some of these younger people you're talking to or talking about and there is a sharp distinction between the obama era and the Trump era. Hmm. And it can really make it look like we've taken a dive. Yeah, for sure. And we have. We we tangibly yeah, we have. have. And, and it, I mean, for me, it felt like it started right away hmm. with Trump. It, it felt like we were no longer living in the system we could rely upon. Uh, it was very clear that we had a, an incompetent narcissist in office and not smart enough to know how stupid he was or how unaware he was. Uh There was a time, you know, with George W. Bush, I thought this is the worst we could get. This was, this was obviously a very stupid person caught like a deer in headlights in, in any emergency situation. But now we look back and realize how much better he was than Trump. Because at least, Mm. you know, he may have had a sinister cabinet, but they understood the process and how our institutions worked. And they really don't get me wrong. They did a lot to really expand executive power in terrible ways. Yeah. You know, I kind of want to push back on that just to just to explore this some more. So, you know, hindsight is 2020. And I feel like we're still 
there's a problem of you can't see the mountain when you're standing on it. And, and so maybe part of this is that it will really take time to assess the damage of the Trump administration. And, you know, really only time will tell just how extensive the damage has really been. In terms of like policy, in terms of actual tangible effects on people's lives, I, I do. I wonder I wonder which was worse. You know, Bush launched this hor- you know, he, this horrific war had had a whenever I think of his cabinet, I think of those big, scary bird things in the dark crystal, the Skeksis. He basically had a cabinet full of Skeksis and Warhawks. And do you think that the tangible effect in terms of what happened with like policy and and real lives being lost, how does that compare to Trump? I feel like Trump did greater cultural damage. You know, I, I feel like in terms of the institutional and cultural damage, Trump has done maybe irreparable harm to our country. But in terms of the effect affecting actual lives on the ground and and launching this war that killed thousands of people you know i don't know it's hard for me to decide which one is worse does that make sense no no you're you're right man and i feel like uh the bush administration really set the stage for trump which makes you wonder mm. you know what has trump set the stage for exactly and, and i fear that trump has set the stage for somebody with autocratic ambitions to know what they can get away with and, you know, maybe be able to execute it because they're smarter than Trump. (laughs) Honestly, we are so lucky that Trump is as fucking stupid as he is. No, exactly. We are so lucky. The best thing about him was how fucking stupid he's been. Exactly. I, I mean, obviously, he intended a coup here, but the best he could do was rant about it on Twitter uh, press these ludicrous lawsuits under the impression that judges would fall into line with loyalty to him. He didn't manage to put together the kind of alliances he really needed to pull this off because he was he was just too stupid. It, it looks like mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been that hard. Honestly, I mean, that's the really disturbing part about all of this is that it, it's gotten as far as it has with as little coherence as, as he put forward. He just kind of... Uh, signaled his will and uh, a bunch of uh, really thoughtless and gullible people followed along, Mm -hmm. but nobody really had a a clear idea of how they would execute any of this. And they were all kind of hoping that uh, the system would intervene on, uh, on Trump's behalf. Next time around, that won't be, (laughs) that won't be the case. And that's why it's vital that things get fixed now. But when I say about uh, George W. Bush, being better than Trump, I do mean on that kind of cultural, social level where yeah. at least, you know, they were able to do it within the system and they were able to push uh, legal cases, uh, scary ones to set bad precedent, no doubt about it, in the Bush administration. But it wasn't so alarming to people uh, because they were doing it within the, within the system. And uh, the unified executive theory, you know, they were really pushing that with the Bush administration, really trying to give the executive powers uh, much more of a carte blanche than ever before. And a lot of that persisted up to Trump and Trump wasn't able to exploit that. But when you had 9-11, Bush was clearly unprepared. He didn't look good. 
you know, they have this footage of him just looking scared and confused. And you saw how little people needed to feel confident in our, uh, in our elected officials in that time because they put him in front of a teleprompter just to say the, the mandatory things that you're supposed to say in an emergency. Let's all pull together, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, by God, we're Americans and all of that. And his ratings just skyrocketed up. And, and yep. people ignored the fact that he was so unqualified and so witless because they didn't want to believe it. They, they wanted to feel more comfortable than that. Trump couldn't even meet that basic minimum. The coronavirus breaks out. He starts bitching that it's a plot against him. You know, at the point where he had the opportunity to really flex some autocratic muscle and put a police state in place like other countries did to to really kind of uh, solidify their autocratic powers during the the pandemic. That was too much work for Trump. (laughs) He wanted to be an autocrat who didn't have to do any work and didn't, you know, it wasn't wasn't effective enough. So he just said, hey, this shit's up to the states. They have to take care of it. The protests started breaking out after George Floyd got killed. The obvious thing to do, the bare minimum thing a president would do is get up on the stage and tell people like, look, relax, we can pull through this together. This is terrible. You know, we're going to fix this. We got it. We have to unite as a nation kind of thing. They have templates for this kind of shit. And it's so easy. And his ratings would have skyrocketed also if he had done the bare minimum of just deferring to science and, and yeah. trusting the CDC and allowing people qualified to put together a federal plan for COVID, you know, he, he would have won the re-election if he had done Yeah, it. he would have. It, it would have saved his yeah, his second yeah. term. I mean, to, to anybody else, that would have been uh, that that would have been something that would have really sealed the deal. These catastrophes, you know, he just had to do a bare minimum. He had to say the the, the trite cliche things to get people on board. But he was just too fucking worthless to even do that. <laughs> and that's that's what I mean when I say that Trump was was so much worse than George W. Yes. Bush. He inspired absolutely zero confidence in the United States, but also around the world. I mean, this is mm. I think a lot of people don't realize how far we fell when COVID mm. broke out worldwide and nobody was even looking to the United States to lead this charge at all. Trump blames the World Health Organization. We even pull out of the World Health Organization at possibly the stupidest time you could do such a thing. And, mm. you know, it just seems like not too far back in the past, the world would have been looking to the response of the United States the vaccine work behind the United States, the the federal program to roll out vaccination put forward by the United States and the messaging. Nobody was thinking that way now. And it's, you know, it's kind of the open question as to whether they'll look to the United States in the same way again. And, you know, speaking to Trump's just pure idiocy and his inability to even be a like a, a an effective dictator, an effective autocrat. You know, I listened to parts of his of that phone conversation with the Georgia senators in which he was basically, I mean, 
I think it was worse than Watergate or as bad, you know, I like doing truly criminal things. But what I heard listening to that conversation he had with those senators was he's a believer in his own conspiracy theories. He isn't he isn't above it. He isn't above like when he says when he said in that conversation that the Democrats stole the election and all of these conspiracy theories about how the how he actually won a, a landslide. And and, you know, I guess we we will never really know what he believes, but he talked like someone who was convinced he talked like someone who believed his own conspiracies his his own conspiracy theories well he has been living in a world where hmm. he makes things true by fiat he declares yes. that things are so and I, I kind of feel like this leads to a bigger question about the deliberation of public officials and to what degree do we allow them to be wrong and that's hmm. kind of a that's kind of a big topic in a lot of fields yeah, could you could you expound more on what you mean by that? How, to what degree do we allow them to be wrong? Well, I mean, factually, there is no evidence for this bullshit about a stolen election, right? Mm-hmm. So, how much do you allow public officials to get away with grandstanding on the grounds that an election was stolen, especially when it foments? so much division and possible violence and things like that. How much do you tolerate uh, Josh Hawley or, uh, or Ted Cruz standing up in, in, in talking about uh, how this election, you know, is somehow so much different from other elections that the results shouldn't be respected or they should be, uh, you know, gone over again until we come to the proper results, which I guess would be Trump winning. Or, or, or whatever. At what point is there lack of factual basis in any of this grounds for removing them from office? Right now, there, it isn't, right? Hmm. This is a similar kind of debate that comes up when you're talking about academic freedom. You know, um, sometimes tenured professors will go off in a bizarre direction, chasing conspiracy theories themselves or whatever, like, John Mack at Harvard, who started. Uh, oh the, yeah, who did the abduction? Yeah, yeah, the abduction book. Yeah, I have that on my shelf. Right, right. But uh, you know, Harvard felt like they were in a in a real tough spot with that. You know, they were mm. investigating his research and everything, and they weren't sure, you know, what to do if they should get rid of him or whatever. But that just you know leads us into the direction of discussions about at what point should our politicians, our, our, our representatives, be held accountable to follow the facts, the evidence that we have, and not just be able to get away with claiming that they're uh, being driven by the passions of some voter base that they, they prefer over another voter base or whatever. And this is a vital question, I think, now, given with climate change. I mean, how much yes. longer do we tolerate assholes who are making money from oil companies or other polluting industries, coal, whatever else, fossil fuels that, uh, you know, pushing an agenda to roll back environmental protections when 
the preponderance of the evidence and science goes the other direction. Hmm. And I, I don't feel like we've we built the proper structure to mitigate these kinds of petty political ploys in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary. And I, and I feel like there really should be, there needs to be something in place now that wouldn't allow for people to pull that kind of bullshit that Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley were pulling. We can't just make assertions like that. Hmm. You know, you, you can't just stand before Congress and claim that, you know, the election was stolen without some kind of repercussions for making a false claim. That's a false accusation, you know, as, as far as we can see. And, and they had no no other reason for saying it other than their own vision of uh, or their own attempts at political gain. Hmm. You know, it. I, and I feel like it's even broader than that, where it's it's like to what degree do we as kind of this organism that is a country that is a society tolerate you know uh, uh charlatans misinformation uh hate hatred against minorities it's like you know how do we as the body politic how do we as this organism manage that and and kind of have the how what are the antibodies in this body in order to uh, kind of push push that insanity away and and out of our system because it's it's poisoning us right now and this actually uh, so let's go ahead and move on to to some questions for my audience and this this point actually leads really nicely into one of the questions uh, that someone on my discord had by the way uh, everyone on my discord is an is is anonymous um, so I am I, I won't use anyone's names on my discord server uh oh well okay so while here here's a softball question from someone on discord while i'm looking for the bigger question someone wants to know what are your general opinions on breakfast food i think this is a question that should be asked of anyone in a position of power or leadership i i think it should be served all day god damn it i agree with that i mean who i 100 percent agree yeah Places that have breakfast on the menu, I'll end up getting that for dinner. They they are for the win. Okay, so um, I might have f- actually not even posted the question to my notes here, but there was one question, which was, what are your thoughts on the dismantling of Parlor? So for people who don't know, Parlor, by the way, I was on Parlor because I... I spy on people and because parlor is all about free speech and self-expression i decided to be my true self and so i went with the username hagrid's cum slut and uh you know just spied on everything that was going on on parlor now it's down because amazon yanked its servers and uh so parlor is having to rebuild from the bottom up of course we don't know all of the details there we don't know if there was some contractual thing i i assume there was a contract between amazon and parlor we don't know all the behind the scenes stuff but it it looks like it was in response to parlor being a hotbed of insurrection of plotting political violence what are your thoughts on just the wholesale dismantling of a platform like Parler over over something like this? I think breakfast is the law. 
Breakfast under Will. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Breakfast makes right. Not might is right, but breakfast is right. (laughs) Right. You know, this is this topic is worthy of an entire book. Absolutely. And uh, in in there's there's a lot of mixed feelings too, even about uh, Trump being banned off of Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you know, let me let me draw back a bit and, and talk about something that ties in, though it might not seem that way at first. Uh, there's been plenty of occasions throughout the past years now when people have really soured to uh, Republicans and Christian nationalists and seeing them for what they are, uh, and you know getting really irritated by these bigoted politicians running on, you know, Christian nationalist agenda that's uh, anti-LGBTQ and all that. And then they they get out and they do their speeches or whatever, and they'll be playing a song. And the musicians get pissed off and they say, we don't want to be associated with this. And sometimes they've announced that they're going to sue. They're going to sue because or for however many tens of thousands of dollars for usage of the song. And this happened with Huckabee and uh, that one woman who wouldn't sign the marriage certificate. I forget her name. I I cannot. But I can picture her. I am seeing her right now. Yes, I know exactly who you're talking about. Right. She's that asshole. Who, Kim. Who Kim. Someone religious beliefs to. uh uh, apparently her her belief against uh, gay marriage prevented her from signing a, a wedding certificate as a county clerk or whatever. Yeah. She felt that was that was her place somehow. And of course they glorified her and Huckabee had something, you know, some outdoor rally or whatever and was speaking. They played Eye of the Tiger and the band that the band that created the song Eye of the Tiger said they were going to sue for like $25,000 or whatever. They were demanding that kind of payment. And of course, you know, people on my side of politics are immediately cheering like, yeah, fuck you, pay them, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't immediately go that way. I'm thinking, who's going to be preferencing a video of that event, you know, over getting the, the song if they want to buy it? You know, how many times have I unwillingly heard that song because it was playing somewhere and the idea that they should get paid some $25,000 or whatever for that being played outdoors at a rally was absurd to me. And it didn't matter what the rally was. Of course, I can't stand Huckabee and I couldn't stand her and I couldn't even stand what they were talking about or whatever, Right. but you're, you're setting a precedent then, you know, you can't let those emotions overtake you to the point where, these ridiculous songs you never wanted to hear to begin with are playing outside and somebody's saying you owe them money for it and, and an exorbitant amount like that when they can't, yes. when they can't reasonably be claiming a loss of that amount of money for, for anything they did, you know? So it, it was absurd. It was kind of a, an attempt at a punitive measure against them. And I feel similarly when it comes to things like trumping banned from Twitter. Now, in the case of Trump being banned from Twitter, I'm not convinced they did anything wrong. These are these are extreme circumstances, and these are and Trump is different yes. than any other private person. And I really do feel 
somebody like him should be held more accountable rather than less accountable, even though that's not the direction we've gone in. It seems like the more power somebody gets, the attitude is the less accountable they are. It really should be the opposite. Yes. But on the other hand, we do have to think about giving that type of power to a company like Twitter that seems to arbitrarily apply its standards unevenly only when they feel like it. And, and I'm thinking, of course, about threats made to TST and Satanists that they, you know, they, they never find to be in violation of their terms of service. And they have these opaque ag- algorithms and we don't know who makes these decisions. And, you know, that argument now with the tech companies seems outdated where people say, hey, it's a private company. If you don't want to use them, you, you don't have to. You kind of have to. You know, you're at, at this point, yep. you, you simply do not have access to the public. If you're blacklisted from Facebook or Twitter, you're, you're, you're missing a significant market and way to reach out to people. And I don't know what the percentages are, but they're high of people who get their news almost exclusively from Facebook or Twitter. So if you're not on there, you're you're kind of dead. You're fucked. And we know exactly what happens when people get blacklisted. You know, when Stefan Molyneux, Stefan Molyneux and Milo Yiannopoulos, both of whom, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I don't shed a tear for either of them because they're both disgusting shit lords. And I don't think they should have a platform uh, because I think that they're awful and disgusting. But when they were kicked off of all of the major platforms their audience died because everyone's on Facebook, everyone's on Twitter, everyone's on YouTube. And when Stefan Molyneux and Milo Yiannopoulos were kicked off of Twitter and YouTube, it was done for them. And and this isn't a statement about either of those, but rather, you know, I, this is an issue that is so big and I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around it. and, And the only way that I can, kind of describe it is you know a, a the metaphor of a of the cuckoo the bird where it will lay its egg in another bird's nest and then that baby cuckoo will push the other baby birds out <laughs> of the nest and then will take all the food from this poor unsuspecting mother bird and that is what social media has done to the public square yeah It is a private entity, a corporate entity that, like the cuckoo, has been planted in our democratic culture, you know, in in our in our democracy, in our culture. Uh, And it is posing as the public square. But behind just beneath the surface it is actually billions and billions of dollars of algorithms and technology pointed straight at your brain every time you look at it incredibly powerful technology pointed straight at your skull to manipulate every second that you're on it right that is that's unprecedented like that is unprecedented in human history and so it's like how do i even begin to think about this stuff how do i even begin to think about parlor how do i even begin to think of people like alex jones or trump being kicked off of twitter when it's like this is so 
new. And so I'm really ambivalent. I And I think it's reasonable to be ambivalent about this, where it's like, yes, I'm glad. I think it's good that these people are off of these platforms. Well, the, the normal the normal free speech arguments don't apply exactly. when it comes to Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and the tech companies. And the reason they don't apply is because the, the standard free speech argument is for uh, the open marketplace of ideas, which I stand by. Same. But this is not that. And Facebook and, and Zuckerberg likes to use this, these free speech arguments as though he doesn't realize that anything has changed. But what has changed is you, you are not throwing ideas out into the public when you throw ideas out or, or when you market ideas on, uh, on Facebook or YouTube or whatever. There's, there's paid advertising. There's algorithms that make sure that this material only reaches people who are gullible for it, who are persuadable to it. People want to hear it, and that's where it becomes the yeah. echo chambers. And it's not thrown out to a segment of the population at random where people are analyzing this, arguing about it. You have the, the illusion of that. Most people don't realize, I don't think, how insular their algorithmic bubbles are. Because it feels seamless. Right, right. That's why we've gotten people dividing into these such polarized tribes but I feel like in order to kind of restore a type of balance, we need to, we need to kill surveillance marketing. I think the, 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 uh, the monetization structure of Facebook and YouTube, they need to be gutted entirely. That whole, that whole tactic of building yeah. ever more elaborate personal profiles of people to know exactly what information to target them with, regardless of the, the, the veracity of truth behind the claims or anything like that, that needs to stop. We're seeing the outcome of that now when we're seeing these conspiracist mobs yes. descending upon the Capitol while there's another population of people who can't believe it's happening and have no idea what these people are thinking. This is the world that Facebook has created. It's the world that surveillance marketing has created and surveillance marketing, I really feel needs to be killed. And for people who, who don't realize the degree to which social media is literally second by second manipulating you while you're on it, every, every single pause and duration of that pause that you make as you scroll your feed everything you click everything you like uh some apps even uh according to jaron lanier will use the camera to measure your your skin tone and and measure of blush in your tone to determine whether what's on the screen is having a physiological effect on you crazy shit and then that feedback loop because they know you better than it, than your spouse does you know twitter knows you better than your partner does then they are literally second by second as you're scrolling up the very next item, the very next item that you see as you scroll up. Each one is perfectly calculated to capture your attention. Each one is minutely manufactured by 
billions of dollars of technology and algorithm that even its makers don't fully understand so that you can stay on screen for as long as possible. But it's uh, and part of its power is that it seems invisible, right? Yeah, according to Facebook's own research, some somewhere upward and over of sixty percent of people who joined radical groups in their on their platform did so by recommendation by Facebook. Yep, you know, and YouTube is is absolutely terrible when it comes <laughs> yes, to it is. trying to force radicalized material on you i i notice i i never watch political stuff on youtube so i'm always mystified when i see recommendations for really just kind of filth junk food material of somebody ranting about something in current events or whatever or taking some ridiculous point of view or you know i have no idea how much Ben Shapiro must pay YouTube, but it seems like everybody gets recommendations for that asshole's videos. Even even I do, and I'm as like pink lefty commie faggot as they come. And even YouTube thinks I should watch Ben Shapiro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I have no idea what uh, what YouTube's vested interest is in uh, in Ben Shapiro, but they've been they've been popularizing that guy the best they can for for some time now. And uh, and, and you know this this it's it's having its real world effect. And I think if people want to see, know what's different now from 20 years ago, you know, this is part of it. This is, this is part of, part of what's really causing people to uh, section off into these tribes that don't understand each other at all anymore, just because they aren't participating in the same discourse together. Yep. They're not even seeing it. So here's another question from someone uh, on discord. They ask, many activists, particularly those associated with Black Lives Matter and other social justice movements, have said they don't feel progress can be made working within the system anymore. It's too corrupt. TST has always worked within the system when it comes to fighting injustice. Do you think this method continues to work? Will it ever need to be adjusted? Well, let me just comment on how I really do get sick of people saying that. You know, working within the system doesn't work anymore. I'm I'm not so much irritated by that point of view as much as I am disappointed in the lack of follow-up to it because I never really hear what the recommendation is for an entirely different system. Mm -hmm. But like I said, at the the core of it, we're supposed to have a self-correcting system, one that is amenable to change and one that we can... uh, we can revise for for our purposes, and that's why we we push forward our our rights in the courts because you know the the letter of the law is such that our our claims are valid, and that we should they should find in our favor, right? And, and assuming that that's the case, these are actually good laws, and where the laws are bad laws, we should challenge them. But until I hear something better for a plan of complete overthrow and restructuring, simply saying that we can't work within the system is, is, is just giving up. You know, you, you don't take to the streets just screaming we can't work within the system because then you're just making a lot of noise and, and you're, not, you're not presenting any alternative. You, you really have to have an end goal in mind before you, you, you give up on what you've got. And, and 
I, I, I hear a lot of this rhetoric and, you know, even questioning it is sure to get some people pissed off. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm against the, the, the general will of, of the crowd that's, uh, that's out protesting or whatever. I, I think it's a matter of agreeing with what's wrong, but not agreeing with, with the tactics. And in this case, um, I, I just don't hear tactics being addressed that could be better than, you know, actually pushing to work within the system. Uh, with the cop protests and everything, there, is, there, there have been a lot of people who have proposed real dramatic overhauls of the policing system that, you know, show a lot of promise. And you, you can't say that these things have never worked. We haven't tried them. Mm. And there's every reason to believe that a lot of these things would work. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that are very obviously wrong with the current system that can be changed and revised. So I don't know why we wouldn't do those things. And to what point, to what point do you tear it down? You know, like uh, before you say those things, you really need to, to know which direction you're going. I think. You know, I, yeah, I, I think I'm right there with you. Um, I get it. I really, I get the frustration. I get the rage with the system, you know, and especially if it feels like, and not just feels like, but objectively has been uh, against you as a minority at every turn. You know, the the system has not been kind to black people, to trans people, to sex workers, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I think rage against the system is is perfectly reasonable. So I get it. And, and it does have to change. It does need to change. Like this is not a defense of the system. Some people talk about this, of, of not working within the system versus working within it, all of that. I sometimes wonder if there is a, an element of purity and contamination there and, and that there's this sense of, you know, purity. Jonathan Haidt talks about how purity is, is, um, and contamination is one of the core evolutionary languages that, have, that, have been, that has been baked into us as a species. But then different cultures express that in different ways. And, and I do think that purity is, is really important to a lot of leftist spaces. I'm not saying this at all to diss leftist. I am one. I, I sometimes wonder if there is a sense of contagion and contamination in working within the system because it, it feels gross. You know, yeah, does that but, make but, does that make sense? Yeah, but it, it also begs the question of what do they mean by the system? Do they mean yes? That I yeah that that's never clear, is right, it? Right, right. Well, right. And my knee jerk reaction is to think that somebody feels that they have a higher moral authority than to answer to a deliberative process on something because it's it's not moving ahead. Hmm. But we have to recognize the the pitfalls of allowing some kind of autocratic force and, and, you know, in anything we do. Yeah. So until it's really clarified what the system is, what we can't work with, and if there's anything we can, then we can move forward from those discussions. And it's not to say, you know, that at a point where, you know, we lose all our legal battles and a theocracy is installed in the United States that we wouldn't, you know, obviously have to shift tactics. Right. Well, I, I don't think we're there yet. You know, I, I honestly feel that the system such as it is, you know, at least on paper is on our side, but we really have been corrupted by people coming in 
claiming that they're upholding their patriotism and uh, the true understanding of the Constitution and what they're doing is, uh, you know, couldn't be more antithetical to any of that. If we, you know, look at American history as at least in part the history of the rights revolutions and, Mm. you know, some kind of affirmation of enlightenment values. And, you know, to kind of harken back to the conversation we were having at the beginning about patriotism, um, I am personally not ready yet to give the quote unquote system to the right. Well, that's exactly it. That's what that's <laughs> you know? what worries me because yeah, if you if you want to talk about breaking the system, that's exactly what the Trumpers are trying to do. Mm. You know, he put people in charge of different departments who had absolutely no respect for them. He put you know Scott Pruitt as head of the EPA at first, and this was a guy who wanted to dismantle the EPA. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he had no. He had no care for environmental protection. He only cared about kind of breaking that system of regulation to allow businesses to uh, make money at will, you know, uh, while subtracting from the health of the general population. It didn't matter. Uh, Betsy DeVos, she's put in in, in uh, the Department of Education, and she has no respect at all for public education. She wants to give everything to private schools allow them to indoctrinate children with religion while taking federal funds. You know, these are people, when I think of breaking the system, I'm thinking of Trump and, and the, actually the powers that be. And I think that's the difference between me and some of the people decrying the system is that they see Trump as the system. I don't see him that way at all. I think he's running absolutely contrary to uh, everything the system was supposed to protect us from. But the system hasn't worked in that regard because it also takes active participation. You know, you can't you can't expect it just to, to manage itself without any without any oversight. And that's what the people are supposed to do. And, you know, to that end, I'm, I'm glad that the Democrats are pushing for impeachment. But generally, I felt like they've proven themselves a bit spineless. And I'm surprised yes. that they're doing it at all. Yeah, same. And, and honestly, like you said, I, I, I'm kind of surprised that they're pushing for impeachment now and nobody seemed to mention it at the point where a phone call came out where he was directly threatening officials in Georgia to find votes for him to overturn the election results there. Absolutely. I mean, it, but it's almost like we've been, you know, human beings are pretty amazing in how we can normalize, how we can acclimate to stuff. And it really is just like, Every day, Trump doing some crazy bullshit all the way up to, you know, strong arming Georgia, Georgia senators to uh, get him votes that don't exist. And it's almost like we don't see it anymore because it's it's too much and we've just acclimated to it it's normal now and that that is what really worries right me. right no that that's the danger trump trump pushed it further and further to the point where on a daily basis he was doing things that ruined other people's political careers and we lost that dignity along the way mm. you know we we lost the the dignity of uh of a people who would protest those things and say that this cannot stand and that we need to, to remove this fool from office. You know, we got to the point where 
it was expected. People kind of shrugged it off. And it, it really has paved the way for something terrible uh, next time. Next time we get a Republican in office. Who's smart enough. <laughs> right. So uh, one person on my Discord wanted me to tell you, let's see here, quote, tell Lucian Greaves I challenge him to a dance-off. Do you accept the dance-off? Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll hold. I don't know That's about okay. that. Oh, we'll, yeah, that, that's probably the hardest question <laughs> I've gotten in any of my interviews. Ec- oh, great. That's an honor. <laughs> Uh, this uh, yeah. this uh, person on my Discord should be honored by that. Well, right. I think I think that's it. That's a good note to end. Well, let me let me give you a piece of news first, then. Yes, please, please. Satanic Planet is uh, we've entered a verbal agreement, and we just need to sign the contracts now between all of us. But we have a three album contract with the label Cleopatra. Amazing. Yeah. So there you go. That's fantastic congratulations my understanding is it'll still be like you know at least six months before the album comes out or whatever but now at least it's it's that yeah for sure that's incredible uh and that's great actually because i did see some questions about satanic planet and the status of it so fantastic update and when it comes out uh you can come on again to, to talk specifically about the album and maybe some of your band members perfect um yeah, we can we can do a show together and, and talk about it. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm all for it. And as always, you know, you're welcome back anytime. If, if ever you want to just come on and rant about something, just let me know. I'm sure people would love to hear it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, that is it for this show. As always, the music is by The Jelly Rocks and Eleven D Seven. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to music. The artwork is by Rama Krishna Das, and this episode is recorded, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Bradford Long. And it is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. As always, hail Satan! Thanks for listening.
drink, can't move on. Living in shame, who can we blame? Keep doing what you push right on. Gotta cut the lights on. Living right, me, you might have to fight, home. Look at this life, yo. We rockin', but can't get it right, though. I've been in the deep beam, middle of the dark, still fighting out demons. Taps in my heart, tell me go another round, but I gotta start swinging. Turning all my godsins into hell. 